hey, but we're going to, uh, uh, we talked about biblical relationships over the last several Wednesdays in different forms. Biblical love, biblical relationships, it's all about relationships. We're going to focus in on a, uh, and see how far we get tonight and maybe next week as well, but we're going to be on the marriage relationship very specifically. What The scripture doesn't talk about a lot about marriage, but what it does is so, so important. As I look at the statistics and I look at just Jefferson County, the average marriage rate was 6.5% marriages per 1,000 total population. 6.5. The divorce rate in Jefferson County was 2.9 marriages per 1,000. So not quite 50% of marriages in Jefferson County that starts, that everyone wants to say started well. But it hasn't finished well. And even if those who have not divorced, there's another statistic that takes almost another 25% that says they're on the verge of divorce or separated. So you can see that the Lord really pressed me that we're going to continue on in two more subjects. And I'm not going to tell you because you're probably going to avoid the, the second one as well. So I'm just going to tell you, you just show up and see what I'm going to talk about. But I'm telling you, tonight we're talking about the marriage uh, relationship. Uh, that way you won't avoid it. Not that you would avoid it, but, you know, some people might avoid it, just a, that topic alone. But you're here and you're listening, so don't tune us out in here or online because the Lord has much to say to us through the Scripture. But I want to read for you uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to take the section, of course, we're going to, that this, this section really speaks to much of the truths that I will be sharing tonight, and we'll see how far we get on this subject tonight on the marriage relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, but I'm actually going to take 20, giving thanks always for all things to God. The Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let me read that again, so just in case you're taking notes, and I, this is very important for you to get. You're submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then it comes into verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As you're submitting to the Lord, uh, it's important to understand how that relationship is with your husband. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 20, verse 25, now husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you be particular, so particular of love of his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband." Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And that is very important to, that verse is so critical when it comes to the marriage relationship. Now, what are some of the common things that we see today in a regular marriage? I'm not saying it's a Christian marriage, but because they don't distinguish those uh, statistics. But let me give you the top seven reasons why there's divorces or on the separations on the verge of divorce. First one is infidelity. Emotional affairs leading to extramarital affairs. That's one. The second one is financial status. Struggle over spending habits. Struggle for power, who gets to decide on what they will or will not do with the money and the resources. A third reason why there's divorces is a lack of communication. Limited communication is the biggest reason for divorce. And we already talked about biblical communication. Why do you think we want to make sure we understand biblical communication? Because if you don't, one of your relationships are going to be harmed dramatically. In this case, as we talk about tonight, the marriage relationship. The fourth reason that people get divorced is constant arguments. Feel like they are not being heard. The spouse doesn't feel like they're being heard or they're not feeling appreciated. Again, that is why we talked about the scriptures before about how to have biblical love and a biblical relationships and a biblical communications. Because if not, there'll be constant arguments, butting of heads in the marriage. The fifth reason for divorce is lack of intimacy. Not understanding that you are there for your spouse in regards to intimacy. You're one. We just read the scripture. God takes man and woman and brings them together as one. It's a mystery, but it's God's design. How we have as a man and woman need intimacy. Number six, unpreparedness for, for marriage. You do not know your spouse before you get married. You haven't sat there and studied and got to know her. You just went on the rims of a marriage and it sounded good. It feels good. And it just, you know, let's get married. It's no big deal. It's an arrangement. There's also this unpreparedness of marriages. The persons or the two individuals are not ready to commit their lives to one another. Not to say you're going to learn when you first get married about complete commitment because you think you're completely committing until you're married and you're in the marriage and then you realize you have a lot to die of self of. And then finally, number seven, 
is violence and abuse is the last reason for much of the divorce that takes place. Domestic violence is the most common reason for divorce. That's statistics. That's what they watch. That's what they're tracking. That's what it is. And we have a solution as Christians. We have God's word as a solution in our relationship with him that changes hearts. And every single one of those key seven reasons why people get divorced could be wiped away. Wiped away. So why is it important when you're interacting with people who are going to get married, how important it is that they get biblical counseling? And you should encourage that. That if you find themselves who are married and having difficulties, that you point them back to the word of God and how they need to change their heart so their heart is right in regards to that relationship. You have the ability to be discipled in your own marriage or if you're going to get married. But even more important, and even above that, it's not always about just you and me. It is about now with the information that you apply to your own marriage, how can you help others that God has brought in your life? That's discipling someone else up. So when we take a look at this, we know and understand based on the Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, that the marriage relationship is to reflect the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Many people always struggle through the verses that I've read as they read the scriptures there in Ephesians 5 and they struggle with, with the word submit. They, they struggle in one of the things because they are not mature as a Christian. If they struggle with those verses, because you're not mature, and that's why you're here, and that's why you're listening, because you're trying to be discipled up so that you will be mature and understand the context and the application of the scripture. So just keep studying and keep seeking the Lord on it, but understand it's all about that relationship between a model between Jesus Christ and the church that's between husband and wife, and that is the model that God wants to use to reach this lost world is through your marriage. And that beautiful biblical marriage relationship that reflects Jesus and the church relationship. That is why we have to make sure we are doing it God's way. God intends and expects marriage to be a lifetime commitment between a man and a woman. Based on the principles of biblical love, and you can go back and listen to that section of the steps uh, in our journey of biblical love. And the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church is the supreme example of that committed agape love between uh, man and woman. That husband and wife are to follow in their relationship with each other. They're supposed to be together and follow in their relationship with each other as they seek the Lord. And that's the part that's why even Christian marriages fall apart. Because they put their eyes on each other and butting heads and go through that list of top seven instead of going to the Lord. And letting their hearts be transformed. So God's view is, is the next step is step number 60, if you're tracking these key steps. Step 60 is this. Marriage is not a social convenience. Nor simply an invention for living together. Shacking up. 
So we better get married because that's what we're supposed to do. That is not the reason why you get married. I've got needs. So we have to get married. That is not the main reason why you get married. It is ordained by God to be a covenant of companionship and mutual complement between man and woman. She completes you. He completes you. She compliments you. She, he she, he compliments and she compliments each other. That is how you're looked to have as a marriage. That's how God designed it. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compar- comparable to him. We see it also in Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Transparency. Closeness. Oneness. Is beautiful in God's eyes in how he designed marriage between man and a woman. And is meant to keep us or keep you set apart for your physical relationship for one another. You're not to take your physical needs and just spread them around with a bunch of people. That is not how God designed it. And we can see the ramification problems because of people who are going outside of God's will for that sex drive that God gave you. It was supposed to be with the one woman that he was going to give to you. If, you were, if God called you to be married. Some, as we will read, have been given the gift of singleness. But those who have not been given the gift of singleness has a sex drive that needs to be met with that woman. And that woman is to be only one woman. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 5. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Those are very important verses in relationship between a man and a woman, especially if you want to deal with numbers five for the top reasons of why there's a divorce, lack of intimacy. And when there's a lack of intimacy, then it becomes frustration, and then you're going to get into constant arguments, violence and abuse, and it goes on and on and on and on, and infidelity. It goes right straight through because of many times of that. That, that, That's subject alone. Now, step uh, 61. 
for God's view on the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship is designed to be one of unity and one flesh permanency. And we read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. We also know that it reflects the loving relationship between Christ and his church. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5 in the very beginning. Now, that's God's view on marriage. Now the question is, what's your hope in your marriage right now? What is the hope that you are to have? The hope that we see is step 62. In six, step 62 in our, our, in our journey here is if you are married, God's word instructs you to love your spouse. Not only did we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, but we also see that in Titus chapter 2 verse 4. You are and I am and everyone in the marriage is to practice loving their spouse. And keep practicing and it's till it's perfected just like the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. You don't give up. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have already been enabled to do so. How do we know that? Romans 5.5 tells us that you and I have been given the ability, the enablement to love our spouse. So when you hear someone say, well, I've fallen out of love for my spouse. You didn't fall out of it. You walked away from God's love that he's given to you for your spouse. You're in deep trouble. That's not some passive thing you say. Well, I haven't really fallen in love with her yet. No, God has given you the love to love that person if that's the person that God says is your Eve or your Adam. Romans 5.5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when the Holy Spirit was given to us, you have the capacity to love. Even if your spouse never practices biblical love towards you, you can still be at peace within that relationship. We see that, and I'll read John 14, 27 for you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do, gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because at times, sometimes in the marriage, one or both may be distracted and moved on and starting getting back into the worldly things and the fleshly things and, and, and the enemies after them, whatever it may be, and they may not be practicing biblical love towards you. But you can still have the peace of God that goes beyond your own understanding in that marriage and you continue to do biblical love toward that person. Why? Because God uses that to lead that person back to Christ and to back to the relationship, to repent of whatever is causing division within that marriage. You just do your part, let God work on the other person's part. God will deal with them. And can also do your part to foster harmony in your home. 
Not only do you have the love to be able to do that and have the peace, even if your, other, your spouse is not doing it, you can still be the fostering that um, harmony of unity within the house. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And the main thing you have to understand something. You must remember you are not responsible to change others. You are not responsible to change others. It's not your responsibility, so don't take it on. I'll give you, there's multiple uh, verses, but I'll give you a Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will, be, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God is the one who is responsible to do the work he says he'll start in a person's life? He's faithful to complete that. So why would you as a spouse get involved with what God is doing in your spouse's life? And mess that up. You're supposed to be one of harmony and of peace and showing a biblical love. You do your part because God's doing a work in you so your spouse shouldn't be messing with that either. Because yes, God will use you in your spouse's life. That's how God works. You're going to learn to die yourself because you have someone in your life now you're living for. And then you think you got that figured out and then God blesses you with children and then you really realize how selfish you are and you need to die more. And that's when your marriage sometimes comes the most closest because two grown professionals are, are sitting there whimpering in the corner and could barely handle a six-month-old or a two-year-old. And you're, you're, you're united finally. If we're going to survive this, this baby, we better unite to be able to make it through this. Or you're never going to make it through the night. I love how God works. Refined you, and you learn to trust in God and trust in each other to raise those children. <laughs> I, could, I could keep going on that one, but I will not. But you are responsible to examine yourself continually in biblical manner. I didn't want to miss that point because in that relationship, you're constantly, Lord, is there something I need to change? Something I need to change? What do I need to do differently? How do I do? Lord, show me as I'm reading your word. Show me. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about how to biblically love my wife now or my husband now at this point in time. And, and, and you, again, you, it's a practice. You're not going to get it right because so many of us, maybe it's just me. I'll just talk about myself. And that is sometimes I don't. I don't express outwardly what I'm thinking, what the Lord's showing me. I don't express that out to my wife. Or I don't th th think in a certain way in the fact that it's focused on her because there's so many things going on. There's a lot of things that can hinder someone if you're not constantly practicing, God, what, how, what do I need to do to please you? God, how do I please my spouse? Then God, then my children, how do I, don't, I I'm not here to please my children. I'm here to, how do I train my children up? It's important that we keep that in perspective. In step 63, and as you continue to be a biblical servant and being a blessing to your spouse, you can be assured that God will work all things for good in your relationship with your spouse. He will, he joined you together, he brought you together, he's knitted you together, you've become one, and he is not going to give up on that marriage. So don't even be 
convinced or tricked by the enemy to think otherwise. That's just a trick of the, of the enemy to divide and conquer the family because it will destroy an entire generation upon generation upon generation and you don't want to go down that path. And you can be assured that God will work things out. No one, not even an unbelieving or unloving or rebellious spouse can prevent it. Can't prevent it. God is going to do a work. He's faithful to do a work. And you go back and read Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. Now, as we take a look at the scriptures here, uh, the biblical model for marriage. There's a few passages, like I said, in the God's word regards to marriage that are very specific, but all is necessary to understand God's exalted view of marriage. And I think when I find, as I, I hear and I do marriage counseling, or I hear and watch the things that are going on, and, and, and just bring people through crisis after crisis, or whatever it may be, I come to find that most people in, in a, as a Christian do not have an understanding of a biblical ma- marriage, or the model for the marriage of a Christian marriage. They don't understand the model, they don't understand the, the scripture. And God has ordained marriage, and that is the very first point you have to remember as a Christian. God has ordained marriage. It's not the government. It's not something man whipped up and figured, oh, this sounds like fun. No, this is God's ordained covenant. And so when you marry, you commit yourself to a covenant before God because marriage is God's marriage. And it's a lifetime of companionship with your spouse. And so when you do any kind of guiding of your children or, you're, or a friend or, or you're doing counseling with someone, to do biblical counseling, you must help them understand that marriage is not about just the two of you shacking up. And doing it in somehow, some, uh, it looks good for society to see that you're married and not just living together. No, you have to get across that God has ordained marriage. It's a covenant before God that you guys are committing a lifetime com- companionship with your spouse. Your commitment to companionship is designed to provide mutual help with one another. To unify with one another. Your marriage partner is every aspect of your life. It should not be compartmentalized. I've got my this, my, my work life, then I've got my home life, then I've got my, my, my extracurricular activity life, and then I've got my church life. No, she, she and he is part of your life. It shouldn't be compartmentalized. It's a, it's a unity, it's a oneness, a companionship. One of the hardest things you will do is work, be in a, in a, in a, in a business or in a, in a, in a uh, ministry together and having to work together in like a working relationship too because you really get to know your spouse very, very well when you have to work side by side to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. 
It will teach you how much more you have to do what God's called you to do. And that is to have that unconditional love and having good loving ears and eyes, glasses on to see the things that need to be seen as God's view of your spouse. And see the strengths of his or her strengths in that relationship. But your commitment to companionship is absolutely critical. And your marriage commitment is sovereignly ordained and established by God. And should never be dissolved. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2 verses 23 through 24. Proverbs 18.22. Mark 10.9. I can go on and on and on of what God's view is on this. Only, only the marriage would dissolve only when the sinfulness and corresponding hardness of heart in a marriage partner can lead to the breaking of the covenant relationship of the marriage. Yes, it is possible for the heart to become so hard and so sinful of that person that yes, it will lead to a point where there has to be, that would be the absolutely most critical last step you would make. And you can go back in Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9, and then Mark 10, verses 2 through 11 especially verses 4 and 5 in those verses. God ordained marriage. It's a commitment, a covenant before God. And the other point there is that your marriage relationship with your spouse is to be patterned after the relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And we, again, we read those in opening verses, Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. The second point of the model, of God's model for marriage, is God has established the character of marriage. What does your marriage should look like? When someone looks at your marriage, there should be a character about your marriage. If it's biblically based, if it's a biblical modeled marriage, what are the characteristics should it have? Well, the Bible says, the Bible Uh, Biblical love for your spouse is to be based on God's love for you and must be practiced out of a desire to please the Lord. So when someone looks at your marriage, you're constantly seeking after to please the Lord in your part of the relationship with your spouse. That's why I said, Lord, am I pleasing you in all things? When it comes to now, how do I please my wife? Lord, show me, teach me, give me wisdom of how to show the biblical love toward my spouse in this situation or this day. Give me your eyes. Give me your wisdom of how to see things that I have not seen or she or he has not said. And many times we say, I can't read your mind, sweetheart. You've got to tell me what's going on. I don't know. But that is true. 
And we have a relation, we have a responsibility in biblical communication to communicate specifically in truth and love of your needs. You cannot sit there and make the guy guess. He's not going to work out well for you, ladies. No, they're not going to just see it. Because they walked in, in and out of that room 20 times, and you think, why didn't he see it? He didn't see it, and he's not going to see it. So if you want him to see something, you guide him right over there, and you put his face on and goes, I need you to see this. That's how it works. But, men, you must be always relying upon the Lord to give you eyes to see the things you need to see. That means they're a priority. And when they become a priority and you're meditating on these things, that you will see things that maybe you won't normally would have seen. And that takes practice. Oh, I have... I, Wish I had that mastered, but I, I haven't mastered that after 30, almost 33 years, I'm sad to say. But marriage is to be not only a biblical love for your spouse because you desire to please the Lord, but the second one is marriage is to be one flesh relationship. Not only physically, but it's supposed to be also in the mind and purpose your mind and your purpose and your physical relationship is a oneness. There's, you, after a while, we jokingly think, like, I, can, I don't have to say something. And, and I know my wife, Kathleen's going to finish the sentence. She knows what I'm thinking. And I'll do the same with her. I know where she's thinking. Because I, 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 you have this one mind. You have one purpose. There's, there's just a, something, that, a unity that comes in the marriage. And it's good. It's right. It's a character of the marriage when you know someone's been married long enough, you can kind of, they're almost finishing each other's sentences. They know what they know. A third point is God's sight. Marriage partners are equal in value. You must understand that. You and your spouse are equal, period, in God's sight, but have different responsibilities. Not wrong, just different. Different responsibilities. And you see that even in the church relationship between Christ, the head of the church, and the church, there are responsibilities that are differing between man and woman. Not wrong, just different. And they're biblical. And we see that, again, we saw that in Ephesians 5, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3. Another point in this establishing of the character of your marriage is in all biblically based relationships, marriage partners are to seek to have the same mind and the same judgment. 1 Corinthians 1.10 that means all decisions are to be based on the principles of God's word. There's a big decision. You both should be seeking the Lord to see what the Lord is going to show you so that you have scripture and insight of what God wants you to do. Then you come together, you talk that through to make and see what is the same mind, the same understanding and moving forward. 
keeping in mind that the man will be held responsible for the ultimate decision. Doesn't mean he's making that technically that ultimate decision. God's going to hold him responsible. So I don't I tell men don't be passive and say whatever my wife wants. Happy wife, happy life. Oh no, 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 that that's not true. That is not biblical. You know that. Because you could let her out there on her own and be forced in a position because you're so passive to have her make a decision and she makes the decision based on what she thinks and feels is the right thing to do and it's not right, it's, it causes problems. Guess who God is coming to knock on the door? Not the wife. He's holding you responsible for that decision in that household. So men, don't think it's just going to be passive and you're just whatever she wants, you know. No, God says, no, the two of you must be the same mind. Moving in the same direction. Seeking the, the word. God is not going to tell her to go one way and you to go a left way. That's not of God. If God says, men, you're saying this is the way God's showing, then she says, I don't see that. Then don't make a decision. Be still on it and wait until she has time to seek the Lord. And, he, and God changes her mind on that because he is showing you this, the, the right, uh, right direction. He's eventually going to show her. He's going to reveal to her. That she can say, you know, I don't fully see it, but by faith, I'm going to trust that God has spoken to you. You've been in the word, you're in prayer, you're fasting over it, whatever it may be, that I'm going to trust you and I'm going to, well, I'll support you. Why? Because she trusts in her Lord. <laughs> she don't always trust you, but she trusts the Lord. She knows she, he, he has her in the palm of his hand. And she knows the scripture. Men, you'll be held responsible. So, again, that's a characteristic of marriage. If your spouse is an unbeliever, do not lose hope. Do not lose hope, my brother or my sister, if you are married to a non-believer. When your spouse does not base decisions solely on the word of God. And when you're married to a non-believer, that's why you should have never been married to a non-believer, but you could have gotten saved after you as two non-believers. You got saved, he or she is not. That doesn't change your relationship. You're still married in the covenant with God. And that person who's a non-believer is going to make natural decisions based on their flesh, based on their feelings, based on their, their upbringing, and all kinds of things that have a sway in their decision-making. Be patient with them. Help them to understand where you are coming from, from a word of God and why you're basing your life upon the word. Upon your relationship with Jesus. And why you don't think that is a good decision or is. And this person who's a non-believer cannot understand or accept the things of God. That is not an impossible situation. I make a note here. It's a not an impossible situation. If you seek God's wisdom, James 1.5, and continue to practice a Christ-like servanthood in your home. And you see that in Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, if you're married to a believing spouse, 
then the responsibility to present God's truth to an unbelieving spouse in speech and actions is one thing. But when you're married to a believer, you're both believers, it's, again, you're showing biblical love in, in communicating to that spouse, and it's much easier. But God says, in your relationship with a non-believer, you must honor God in your approach of communicating with your non-believing spouse. Your speech, your actions has to be Christ-honoring and biblically submissive to it. And we know in the scripture we must follow the scripture, be obedient to the word of God without compromise. We also see a key point here of character of marriage is marriage partners are to leave the parent-child relationship with their own respective parents in order to cleave. There is a time when you get married, you must let the influence of your parents have a higher priority than your spouse in the marriage. When you raise those children up, those are God's children. When God brings them their spouse and they get married, they're one with God, they are accountable just like your marriage is to God. And their marriages have the characteristics and reflection of the fact that they're seeking the Lord on all these things. They're not seeking you, the parent, on all these things. Now we're available if we're seeking the Lord for them to get wise counseling, but they should be first seeking the Lord about all things regards to their marriage and the raising of their children and all of the above. Make sure I make this point. In your marriage, a brand new, your, your child is married now to their spouse. They have to learn to to, to, to lean on and to go to Christ for all things. They should have already been taught that up by watching your life, the character of your marriage, how you seek after the Lord, all these things. Now they're bringing that good character of marriage into their own relationship and they're seeking the Lord. And then if they need some help and some biblical wisdom, then they should come back to you as a biblical example of a godly marriage to seek counsel. Not Google. But you should go to a biblical, a loving example of marriage that seeks the Lord in all things and who has an invested interest in their lives. That's how the order should be. They should automatically come to you as a parent and say, What do you think we should do? Well, did you seek the Lord first? No. Well, then go seek the Lord first. Why are you coming to us first? And oh, by the way, on the, out, on the way out the door, don't forget to go back and read and, and give them a few scriptures to encourage them. But let them seek the Lord first. But also know as a young, as a young couple just getting married, you, you you're not alone. The Holy Spirit lives within you and is guiding your marriage. But also know that God has surrounded you with godly marriage examples that you can learn from. That's why the fellowship is so important. The marriage is to be undefiled and is to be held into 
in honor by all, Hebrews 13.4. That's another characteristic of a marriage. A marriage is to be marked by the loving servanthood of marriage partners to one another. You to see, you see in a marriage that each one serving each other, looking to meet their needs, of, of anticipating and, and, and doing things that are showing that they're serving one another. You should boast to serve them, your spouse lovingly. You are to seek to be a, a fit help for your spouse, we see in the scriptures. We see that you as a spouse are to minister to one another. Now, we see God is or, has ordained the marriage. That's a key, key point you need to know in the biblical model for marriage. We know that God has established a characteristics of the marriage, and we saw a lot of those points. The next key point is God has made the marriage relationship basic to society. We have to see that marriage is designed to give society stability. Stability in relationships and stability in, uh, in, uh, in um, responsibilities. That is why the enemy attacks the marriage so Quickly and so deeply because if you can erode the marriage in a society, the society will go down. Look at our society today. No one knows the responsibilities, takes responsibilities, quick to run and quick to leave and, and is not committed at all in relationships in their spouse. It will affect society and it has. The second part is marriage is designed to give the necessary stability for bearing and bringing up children. If you do not have a healthy marriage, you will affect how healthy your children will be in their raising up. And I know many people are affected now as they're solid Christians are walking with the Lord and they really screwed up their kids <laughs> for many, many years before they became, became believers. But by the grace of God, now you can go and pour back into them the truths and correct the things that you were doing in the past. If you're willing to be transparent and humbled. But if, this, if the marriage is not stable, it will bear and bring up children that are unstable. The third point is a biblical marriage relationship is designed to be the, cr the criteria, the indicators for the Evaluation of a mature and development for the potential elders in a church. Someone who doesn't have a healthy marriage is not going to qualify to be an elder within the church. Because if your life's not in order in the, at home, you will not be able to do what God's called us to do as elders in the church and being able to minister to others. Why do you think the enemy attacks marriages of pastors, elders, uh, people in leadership so tremendously? And then marriage is an integral 
part to the life of a local church. We must have healthy marriages within the church. That's what makes healthy churches. Because if you're healthy marriages, then those who are single can learn and see the biblical model of a biblical marriage so that they'll be encouraged to do it God's way. That means then they're raising up godly children and training up in the ways of the Lord. Then you have children now healthy and being obedient to their parents and it's a growing new, uh, uh, organism. Of, of That's why the church is not a building, it's not an organization, it's an organism. It's, it's living and breathing. I'm going to stop there uh, because we're out of time. And we'll be picking back up uh, next week where we left off here. Let me Actually, let me do one more point here. I'm sorry. God, one more key point because the next subject is marriage conflict. And it would break it up. So let me give you the last point here. It takes one minute. God has designed some to receive the blessing of remaining single. Some have been given the blessing of remaining single. If you're single, you have a great responsibility for ministry in the life of a church family. And since you do not have the responsibility or the potential distractions of married people do, that we see in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35, you are the foundation, sometimes the mainstay of pillars for the function within the church. That is played out very clearly here in our church. This church has clearly demonstrated that key point, and I did not want to leave that out. And the last point about remaining single, God has given singleness as a gift to some. He desires those who are presently single to be content and to bless others with their time, the material resources that God has given, their energy, and making the most of every opportunity to serve within the church and the church body. So if you're blessed and God has given you self-control, and you do not have to, to be completed with, some, uh, with a, a spouse because God has completed you, then God has clearly has raised you up to be a very much a pillar within the church body to make that body function and be healthy. Because you can serve like no one else can serve. And so I want to encourage you. If you are, have been given the gift of singleness, that is a tremendous blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. And I'll end there.